Uh, before we get started here tonight, let me make this announcement here too. Uh, as don't forget, it's Great Commission Day this Saturday, uh, 10 a.m. here at the church, and you should have uh, handed out to you a new um, booklet, I guess, if you want to call it that, information on the next uh, set of villages that we're uh, sending mail-outs to. And so come this Saturday, please, and take those home with you as well uh, so that you can pray for these and keep praying for those last week. And if you didn't get information on the last set, there's still some of those on the back ushers table. You can take that. Um, but don't forget to spend time praying, okay? And then this Saturday is Great Commission Day, so we'll see you here. Also, we need to have choir practice tonight, adult choir tonight uh, after church as well. All right, second, uh, first, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's go down to verse 6. Verses 6 through 10 is uh, the section that we're in right now. And the Bible says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The theme of these verses here is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have key statements that reveal that to us in verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, uh, To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. It's stated a little bit differently in verse 10, but it's the same thought. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. And so this climactic reality of the Lord's return is the theme of the text that we have here before us. And last time we were here, I'll just remind you of this, uh, the context of this is that the church in Thessalonica was experiencing persecution. And in verse 6, Paul, or Paul is writing, he says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. That's related to verse 4, where Paul says, we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. And so, this is the, the context in which Paul is writing here concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church was under pressure. The church had been faithful and persevering and steadfast in their persecutions, but that persecution was intensifying. And so in order to encourage the church to continue to endure, Paul reminds them of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because that was their great hope. He says, rest with us. Those of you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. And let me say to you tonight, friend, that this is also a great reminder for us as well as we look at the world that we live in. 
The world that they lived in was filled with persecution for them, for their faith, and they were troubled. And Paul says, I know it's hard, uh, and, and we, we glory in you, and, and we're, we're, I'm, imp- I'm impressed with the, the patience and the faith that you have in the midst of your persecutions and in the midst of your trials that you endure, but you need to keep going on, and the thing that will help you is to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. This is a great reminder for us as well as we look at the world. When we read the scriptures, we look at what's going on in the world. Listen, it points to the climax of history for us for, as being the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Currently, he's hidden from the world. The world does not know him. So much so that the majority of the world doesn't even believe that he is alive or even ever existed. But Paul says he shall be revealed from heaven. Paul makes an emphatic statement, he shall be revealed from heaven. And friend, what is it that gives us hope for the future? It is this same promise that he shall be revealed from heaven. Now, I want to remind you of something else. When Paul writes concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, he uses two different words here. One in verse 7 and one in verse 10, both referring to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, but two very different words with two very different meanings, although they actually mean the actual, they mean the very same thing, but they have different contexts in which they're used. And why does Paul use two different words? Well, he highlights for us the different perspectives or realities concerning what the the return of the Lord Jesus Christ means. In other words, when the Lord returns, it's going to affect people very differently. And this is why he uses two different words. In verse 10, notice, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Shall come is the Greek word erkomai. It means simply to appear. But this was a word that was most of the time used in relationship to the return of the Lord and how it affects the saints of God. His appearing, that's what the word means, to appear. His appearing will affect the saints of God, certainly. Notice some of the effect it has. Verse 10 says that he's going to be glorified in his saints. He's going to be admired in all them that believe. That word admired means to wonder. It means to marvel. So when he appears and when he is revealed, it's going to be glorious and it's going to be full of wonder and a marvelous thing for the saints of God. Wow, don't get too excited. Hopefully you're a saint of God. It's going to be a marvelous, glorious thing. But his revealing is going to be something totally different for those of this world and for the unbeliever. And so in verse 7, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. That phrase, shall be revealed, is the Greek word apocalypsis. It's where we get our English word apocalypse from. It also means appearing. It's the same meaning, but a very different connection, very different context. 
the appearing of Christ or the revealing or the coming of Jesus Christ to this world is going to be apocalyptic. Notice how it's described in verse 8. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Same thing, same return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the opposite side of the coin, though. Does that make sense? It's going to affect people very differently. This appearing of Christ, when He comes, is an unveiling. It's an appearing of somebody that the world doesn't know. They know not God. He's hidden from the world. The reason He's hidden is because they denied Him. They didn't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And His return is going to be something that is shocking to them because it's actually true. But it's here's the thing. They're going to know exactly who He is when He comes, even though they don't know Him now. The mockers say, where is the promise of His coming? 2 Peter 3, 4. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Where is the promise of His coming? That's what the mockers say. But the mockers are going to be shocked and terrified when the Lord comes again, when He's revealed from heaven in power and glory, and they're going to know exactly who He is. What a fearful thing. There's not going to be any mistaking as to who He is. And the last time we were in this passage, we looked at, Three things. We looked at how Jesus is going to be revealed, first of all, from heaven. Secondly, we looked at he's, that He's going to be revealed with His mighty angels. And thirdly, in flaming fire. And what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica is that in every sense, this one who is coming, this one who is going to be revealed from heaven... This one who shall come in every sense is God Himself. This is God the Son returning. He comes from heaven where God dwells. He comes with mighty angels who, who are God's ministers. And He comes in flaming fire, which is the manifest essence of God's own glory. And His return is going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. And it's going to be majestic. But what does that mean? What will happen as a result of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, tonight we're going to see that the revealing of Jesus Christ produces two results from this passage. We're going to see that it produces, number one, relief. But secondly, it's going to produce retribution. Relief and retribution. Now notice these statements in verse 6 seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And then in verse 7, to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. And then in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And then you get to verse 10, and he says, 
that his coming is he's going to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Do you see those two things here? Relief and retribution. It's the same coming of the Lord, but there's two sides of the same coin. This whole passage from verse 6 down to verse 10 collects around these two sides that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to happen. For the saints of God, there's going to be relief. But for those that know not God, there's going to be retribution. And so this is what we're going to look at tonight. But I want to remind you of something else. In Revelation chapter 10, the Apostle John is receiving a vision about future judgment. And in that vision... The Bible tells us that he ate a book, a book about judgment. And that book was both sweet and bitter. If you look over in Revelation 10 and verse 8, that's where we'll start here. And we can talk a lot about Revelation chapter 10, Revelation chapter 11. They're sort of parenthetical uh, chapters. But it's all dealing with and uh, centering around the judgments of God that are coming. In Revelation 10 and verse 8, John's getting this vision about future judgment. And note this, the Bible says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto them, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings." And so John, in his vision concerning judgment, is to eat this book. And the angel said, it's going to be sweet to you, but it's going to make your belly bitter. And there's a great application here, friend, because we're talking again about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say this to you. The Bible, with its prophecies concerning, especially concerning the future, the Bible, with its prophecies, is both sweet and bitter. It's sweet to the believer. Why is it sweet to the believer? Because those prophecies concerning the future give us a a, a revelation of our Savior. It gives us some, some understanding of the times that we live in, and it encourages our hearts with God's promises that gives us hope for the future. When everything else looks horrible. When Jesus comes and He sets up His glorious kingdom, listen, that is sweet and that is relief to the saint of God. It's vindication of truth. In a world that mocks because we believe this book and we believe what it says, it'll be vindication of truth. It's sweet to the believer. It gives us hope for the future. But it's also bitter. It's bitter because when he comes, it's going to be for retribution to the ungodly. 
And friend, listen, that is the second coming of Christ. It is relief, but it's also retribution. And so I want to talk about these two things tonight. And I want to encourage you with this. With the Lord's help, I'm going to give you what the Word of God says, but I'm going to trust that you're going to engage your heart and your mind and you're going to let God's Word encourage you tonight. Because there's some great encouragement here for the saint of God. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word here. And Lord, that you would encourage us with it and you'd strengthen the believers here tonight with the hope of our future, the confident expectation of the return of the Lord. No matter what trial or trouble or persecution or ugly thing that we see out there that could potentially bring about fear in the life of the believer. We have the sure word of God. We have the sure promise of the Lord that ought to encourage our heart and give us great confidence. Just like Paul was trying to encourage the church in Thessalonica in the middle of all of their persecutions. Hey friends, endure. The Lord Jesus is coming. And when He does... There's going to be great relief for you. Those of you who are troubled, rest with us. And at the same time, we're faced with the reality that the return of the Lord is going to bring retribution to an ungodly world. And may that also motivate the believer. For there's a world that needs Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and Use your word here tonight. May we focus and pay attention. And Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the truth of God here. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice with me, first of all, the relief. Verse 7, again, go back to our text. <clears throat> Verse 7, so in the context of all of their persecutions, Paul says in verse 6, he says, it, you need to remember this, seeing it is a righteous thing with God, to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. That word rest is a, a pretty cool word. It's the Greek word anesis. It means relief. It means to ease. And it means to give liberty. It has the idea of the absence of, ten, uh, absence of tension or the absence of trial. And it, it kind of means this. It simply means to let up. Now, it was a word that a, a Greek man would use uh, if he took his, uh, his bow and his arrow. And let's just say he went out hunting, for example. And he took his bow... And he pulled back on the string, but it wasn't time to let it go yet. And he had to hold it there and wait for the right opportunity. And as he's holding it there, the tension starts to build. And the pressure starts to build in his arm and his muscles start to ache. And his muscles start to, uh, you know, start to, to tense up, but he can't let it go yet because it's not the right shot or the right time. But then that moment comes and he releases the string and that arrow goes and instantly he feels relief in his muscles from all of the tension. That's the word that Paul uses here 
when he says to the church in Thessalonica, those of you who are troubled, rest with us. Because there's a coming a time here when there's going to be relief from the pressure. Paul is talking about relief from the trials, relief from the pressures of persecution, relief from the hardship, relief from sin, relief from the world that they live in. Sometimes that word is translated as peace in the New Testament. That's not the most common translation, but it certainly expresses something of the sense of the meaning of this word. It means to have relief, to ease up, to let up, have peace. And what a wonderful truth this is when it comes to the Lord's return. Just think about, friend, think about tonight with me the relief that it will be when Jesus comes again for His people. The very first thing that comes to my mind when I think of this word and I think of the return of the Lord in context of relief and rest, I think of the fact that death is going to be done with when Jesus comes again. You know what? The sorrow that we feel over losing those that we dearly love is going to be over when the Lord comes back for His people. The sorrow, no, again, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope, but the fact of the matter is, because of death, there is sorrow in the heart. There is pain that we feel. You can't get around that because you're human. But when Christ comes again, there's relief, there's rest. Man, it seems like I'm hearing of people dying so much these days. There's the older generation of men, men of God, that I have known and looked up to. I think of Brother Silcox, who recently died. I think of E.L. Bynum, who died just a year and a half ago, and others. The generation is passing away. You see young people dying too, and I just shared with you the news that we got this last week of friends of ours whose son died in a fire and his wife is 50-50. You think of family, the sorrow I remember, the pain I remember, even though it wasn't sorrowing as others who have no hope, there's still pain when my dad died. You think of Susie's mom who just died. Seth's mom, who just died. Casey's mom, not long ago. Just recently, Cara's Aunt Vicky, she was like a second mom to her. She just passed away. It's all over the place. And you know what I'm talking about, the sorrow that we do feel, the pain that we do feel. But there's relief coming. There's relief from that when Christ comes again. You know what, here's another thing. The fact that that sin uh, will be over in terms of this life when Jesus comes again for His people. Think about that. There's not going to be any more fighting with this old flesh anymore. There's not going to be any more, oh, wretched man that I am, because the things I don't want to do are the things I do. And the things I do want to do, I can't do because of this flesh. And there's not going to be any more fight. When Christ comes again. 
What relief! We're going to have a glorified body. Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation, our lifestyle, it's, it's in heaven. From whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Amen! You think, you, you think, you think that, uh, you, do you ever get weary and tired of fighting with your flesh? I would hope so if you're a child of God. If you don't feel that, then maybe you're not a child of God. Because I know this, that when the Spirit of God dwells within, and, the, and the, there's deity living inside, I can't enjoy and keep on living in sin. I can't. And it's a constant battle. It's a fight with the flesh. But that's going to be relieved when the Lord comes again. For the Thessalonians, Paul's talking about persecution for them, persecution for their faith. And he says, rest with us. There's relief coming. And there's, you're finally going to be vindicated for your continued faith in Christ. And there's going to be joy. And there's going to be blessedness for you. When you look at the bigger context, there's not going to be any more problems for the saint of God when Jesus comes again. No more pain, no more suffering, no more disease, but relief. And listen, the, the tightness of, of life, the pressure, the tensions, the squeeze that we're even feeling right now, it's going to be relaxed and relieved in eternal joy. This is a loaded statement that Paul is making when he says, rest with us. Because the Lord is coming back. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm seeing right here. Are you alive? Do you have hope? Do you have joy? Revelation 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, this is Christ. He said, behold, I make all things new. Look at Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Paul's talking about the redemption of our body. He's talking about the whole of creation groaning and travailing in pain. We're waiting for something to happen. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of the Lord. Who's going to make all things new. Because then comes rest. Then comes relief. And the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that we're going to see. What a relief. And what rest for us when Jesus comes. Paul says, you who are troubled, rest with us. There's relief coming. Studying this out and I was rejoicing in this truth because of the realization of the fact that, yeah, there's tension and there's pressure in this life and we're so wrapped up in it all. But what am I really longing for? What do I really want? What I really want is be free from this life. To feel the relief of all of these things, I was thinking as I was just meditating on this, I, there's a song that I remember a dear lady in the church in Grand Forks named Mrs. Weaver. Dear Mrs. Weaver, many of you know her. Faithful, faithful lady. She would sing this song. And I loved this song. It was called No More Night. And I looked up the words to the song because I remembered a lot of it, but not all of it. And the words go like this. The timeless theme, earth and heaven will pass away. It's not a dream. God will make all things new that day. Gone is the curse from which I stumbled and fell. Evil is banished to eternal hell. No more night. No more pain, no more tears, never crying again. And praises to the great I Am, we will live in the light of the risen Lamb. The second verse is, see, all around, now the nations bow down to sing. The only sound is the praises to Christ our King. Slowly the names from the book are read, I know the king, so there's no need, no need to dread. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. And praises to the great I am. We will live in the light of the risen lamb. See over there, there's a mansion that's prepared just for me. Where I will live with my Savior eternally in the light of the risen lamb. No more night. No more pain, no more tears. 
That is the future for the child of God. And what glory and what rest, what relief for the child of God. Amen? Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm the only one that gets excited about it. I don't know. Christ's return is going to be glorious for the child of God, but it's going to be something completely different for others. Go back to our text. We see the relief, but secondly, notice the retribution. So Paul is telling the Thessalonians to endure, persevere, wait for relief. But he can't be done there. He's got to tell the whole story about the return of Christ. And so he says in verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And then in verse 8, he says, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That means there's a penalty. There's a price that they're going to have to pay. Now, before we go any further, let me ask you this question. Does this seem inconsistent with your understanding of Jesus Christ? It's the return of Jesus Christ. Does this seem inconsistent with your understanding of Jesus Christ? What is He like to you? And people might say, and you might even say this, well, Jesus is meek and He's mild. Jesus is gentle and He's kind. He's loving. He's a lamb. He's, he's so gentle. And listen, all of that is true. And all of that is a picture that is painted of Jesus Christ. He came into this world the first time as the Lamb of God. Yes, He came to give His life so that all men might be saved. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was meek and mild and gentle, all of those things. He lived His life on this earth. He was crucified. He rose again. And then He left this earth physically and visibly. We read that in Acts 1.11 says, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the angel told those men, he's coming back just like you saw him go. He's coming again in the same fashion. But according to Revelation chapter 5, when Jesus comes again, He's coming as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also the lamb, yes, in that same passage, but He's the lion of God to exact God's justice in this world. And those who surrender to Him, they find Him a gentle Savior. But those who reject Him are going to find Him to be an executor of God's wrath upon their sin. Notice the wording. In verse 8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. Now, what does that mean? What is this vengeance? Is it sinful? I mean, the Bible says we're not to take vengeance upon ourselves. 
So what is this vengeance? This vengeance is not something that's sinful, certainly. It's based on the perfect holiness and justice of God. The word vengeance here means retribution. It means punishment. So Jesus Christ is coming to bring retribution on them that know not God. That is exactly what will happen when he comes again. And listen, it it reminds me of something. We have a view of Jesus Christ in our mind, but no view of God and no view of Jesus Christ is correct unless we see it from the prism or the lens of all of Scripture. You know what the Bible says about God in Isaiah 66 and verse 15? That He's an avenger. Verse 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger with fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by His sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. The Lord is going to bring vengeance on sinners, on those who reject Him in His word. Isaiah 59, 17, For He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon His head, and He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak according to their deeds. Accordingly, He will repay fury to His adversaries, recompense to His enemies. God's vengeance is not like human vengeance. It's not like the unruly, hostile, selfish, sinful passions that that make human beings want to get back and get even with each other and injure one another. It's not sinful vengeance. Listen, when when we seek vengeance for our own personal reasons, out of our own personal passions because we've been offended or hurt in some way, that vengeance is not just because we are not holy like God is. We are not omniscient. We cannot know everybody's motives. We're not perfect. We can't render perfect judgment. And so the Bible says, leave vengeance to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. This vengeance of God is not incited passion It's not a surge of emotion that we might think of when we think of human vengeance. It's not any of that. What it is, is settled action from perfect holiness and justice. Romans 3, 5 says, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? He's coming to take vengeance on them that know not God. Verse 9 says they shall be punished. Notice that? With everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Notice that word or the phrase shall be. That carries the weight of something being right And it's self-evident that it's right because of the justice. And Paul says, 
who shall be. They shall be. It's right, and it's evident that it's right because it's just. They shall be what? Punished. It means to pay the price. There's a penalty. In essence, what this is saying to us, that this is a promise. This is an absolute promise based on justice and right. They will pay. There will be no escape. It will happen. It is deserved. It will come. God is a God of vengeance, and there's no way to escape that for the one who rejects the Lord. For the lost, he will come as an avenging executioner. Now, you say, well, that's all speaking of God. All those verses that you read about God. But in context here, this is speaking about Jesus Christ, who is returning. And this shouldn't surprise anyone, actually. If we read through the New Testament, we find some pretty eye-opening things concerning Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, we're introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is announcing the arrival, the arrival of the Messiah. He's announcing the arrival of Jesus Christ. And he says, there's one who's coming after me, whose shoe latchet I'm not even worthy to unloose. He's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to undo his shoes. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, Christ is coming, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. That's not what he says. He says, Christ is coming, and he's coming to fix your marriage and all of your problems in your life. That's not what he says. He says, Christ is coming, and, he's good, and he wants more than anything to make you happy. That's not what he says. He says, Christ is coming and he wants to make you wealthy and make you prosperous. It's not what he says. He says, Christ is coming and his fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This one who is coming, he's either going to put you in the barn or he's going to put you in the fire. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 22. Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and those who would try to persecute him, those who eventually were going to put him to death. They're challenging his divinity. And we look in verse 22, and Jesus says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man." Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus said that the Father had given Him authority to execute judgment. What a description of the Christ. And here is sort of the conclusion to it all. When Jesus comes, it's going to produce two things. Relief for the saint of God. What joy. Amen. What a marvelous thing. What a wonderful thing. That ought to fill our heart with joy. No more night and no more tears and no more death and no more sorrow, no more tension, no more fighting with this flesh. Relief! Amen. That's the thing we're longing for. But it's also going to produce retribution. And the greatest question that maybe can be asked tonight is this. Which side are you going to be on? child of God, rejoice tonight. Amen? Let the Word of God fill you and encourage you with these wonderful truths, especially as we live out the days that we are in right now. The Lord's coming soon. Rejoice in that. There's relief coming. Let the Word of God encourage you. You know, the Word of God sometimes is heavy and it's hard. It's true, but it is so full of precious promises that ought to encourage the saint of God. The other application, though, is for those who are not saved. For the child of God, rejoice tonight. But for the one who's not saved, you ought to fear tonight. Consider your soul, friend. Because when Christ comes again, for the lost, it's going to be retribution. And it'll be just, and it'll be right. And the reason will be, listen, here it is. Look at verse 8. Go back to our text there and look at verse 8. Why will it be just and right? And why will Christ be just in His judgment? Verse 8 says, Taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know God, but the reason they don't know God is because they didn't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that imply to us? It implies to us, and it means that they had opportunity to obey the gospel, but they rejected it. That's why it's going to be just. 
Now next week, Lord willing, we're going to see the why, the who, and the how of both of these things concerning the Lord's return. But I would simply try to encourage you with this. The Lord's coming and there's going to be rest. Amen? Focus on that. Don't focus on the junk that's out there, the noise that's out there. Focus on the return of the Lord. Paul said to the church, you're troubled from all your persecution, your trials, your troubles. But rest with us. And here's why. Because when the Lord comes, it's going to have a great effect for you. But it's also a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation on those that trouble you. God's keeping track. He's the one who's keeping record. You don't need to worry about that. You rejoice in the fact that the Lord's coming again. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word here. Lord, I pray for the one who's not saved, that they would get a grip on the reality of this truth that when Christ comes again, they need to be on the right side. It's two sides of that same coin for the child of God. What rest and relief for the unbeliever, the one who's not saved, only damnation, retribution from the wrath of God because they didn't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's opportunity here today. So, Lord, I pray for the one who's not saved that you bring great conviction to their life. We also pray for the saints of God that we would take and have strong consolation since we fled for refuge to the shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would bring rest, relief. We can live in this world fearfully. We can have a spirit of fear that overwhelms us and overtakes us with pandemics and losses of freedoms and economies collapsing and all of these things that are temporal. We can just be overwhelmed with a spirit of fear. But the Word of God says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. That's not of God, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can have that sound mind when our hope is in the Lord. There's rest. There's relief. May we continue to have our, our focus firmly fixed on the things that are above, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless your people and encourage them. May they worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.